Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Nothing like Mary Magdalene to provoke some good gender debates around a table. Namely, at Free For All on Tuesday, for those of you who don't know what Free For All is, it's our time of the week where people are invited to talk about the upcoming scripture that Sunday around table breakfast on Tuesday morning. And we got into it this last Tuesday talking about Mary. Did Mary get it because she was a woman? I mean, these other men seemed so thick. I didn't start the conversation, by the way. <laughs> seemed a little bit of a conflict of interest to support the woman's side, but the men actually said, well, I think they were stuck trying to fix things. You know, like, how did they move that stone from the tomb? Well, we went back and forth this way for a while and had some great conversation. Of course, we know that Mary Magdalene has been a source of great conversation. In fact, she's even doing more than that lately in the news. But as the conversation went on, we talked a lot about this Mary Magdalene, not in terms that she was a woman, but of her story. That it was her story that brings her to a profound place that morning. She has good news 
to share. For those who are guests today, you may not know, we've been in a series these last few weeks called The Gospel According to, and we've been telling the gospel from different people's perspectives. The gospel, the good news. We who were lost, who are now found. We who had no name, have a name. We who had no home, have a home. This is our confession. Through the love and death of Christ, we have good news to share. But we know that it is told in different ways depending on the proclaimer. And we shared about a five-year-old boy named Joshua. And last week, we talked about the gospel according to a musician, namely David, the psalmist. And today, we hear it from Mary. Now, as you know, I think Mary has gotten a bad rap. She has sort of become the redheaded wild child of Christian lore. Hey. <laughs> I was hoping for that. And you're sitting right in front of each other. <laughs> it is. It's quite something in the Renaissance painting. She even develops red hair, if you look, in the last hundred years, a couple hundred but actually, we only know a few things about Mary. We know she came from a town in Galilee named Magdala, hence the name Mary Magdalene. And I like to think that she was what we call a groupie of Jesus. Actually, we know that to be true, for she followed Jesus wherever he went. And the most significant thing we know that's recorded is that Jesus cast out seven demons. In fact, this is told in the longer ending in Mark and in Luke 8, chapter 2. I'm going to read just a bit. It says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So we know this about Mary, about Mary, that she wanted to be with Jesus wherever he went. She soaked up his teachings, but more personally, she was directly healed by his power. She knew firsthand what it was like to be so debilitated, so possessed, so out of control, so under the influence of another, namely seven others, that as a result, when she tasted the healing of Christ, she knew a love so profound that it moved her to be and stay near him. The only other facts we know about Mary, according to biblical source, is that she was with Jesus to the end. That she was there when he breathed his last breath on the cross. We know that she followed his body to the doorstep of the tomb. And she was there first on the first day of the morning of that week, that resurrection morning. So what is the gospel according to Mary? What is her message? Let's fast forward to the end of this text and see what this first evangelist says. It's only five words, 
but they are powerful. I have seen the Lord. That's it. I have seen the Lord. Well, let's look back. Mary, though she arrives in the dark, stays around long enough to see the light. In fact, her eyes begin to adjust. For Peter and John also come after she makes the confession, but they go back home. But she, in a weepy mess, stays near. Hmm. In fact, she continues to look and to see. In fact, as she looks, it says, into the tomb and peers inside, she sees two angels. Hmm. Interesting that Peter and John didn't see those two angels. Now, Mary's sight isn't completely clear yet, for at verse 17, verse 14 says, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus says, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Mary sees what she wants to see, what she thinks she should see, a gardener. Wayne at Free For All talked about in the movie version, The Greatest Story Ever Told, that there was a blinding light apparently in this movie so that it obscured her vision of Jesus. Anybody see that movie? Well, there's different ways of narrating this first encounter. I like to think that it wasn't the blinding light that obscured her vision, but the blinding darkness still. She still sees with a limited vision. Resurrection isn't possible. But then the moment of grace happens. Though she doesn't see him, he sees her. Jesus beholds her. And at that moment, in my imagination, when they see one another... And he calls her name Mary. She turns with great recognition and says, Rabbi, and believes. I have seen the Lord because he saw me. This is the turn. This is the moment of vision. And I think sight is sort of a fascinating thing. It's sort of like reading the Bible. You know, for some, they say, well, the Bible says what it says. Well, it turns out, much like the Bible, our sight happens to take a little more than just taking in information. It has to interpret information. The eye organ just takes in signals, but messages have to be communicated to the brain. In fact, there are visual impairments that have nothing to do with the eye's at all. It's a fascinating thing that somehow the messages get broken up from the eye organ to the brain and visual impairment ensues. This should be a lesson to us that vision is not as simple as taking in an object. We must interpret what we see. Many times We see 
what we want to see. Which is why something like ink block tests are fascinating. If I showed you a blob of some, something, depending on your life experience and your life experience, you would interpret something differently. This is made clearer in the reflection today in the silence. Because Nancy says, the very idea of resurrection shatters all the categories of comprehension with which we make sense of our world. It draws us instead, as Herb said, not just into the historical fact, but the spiritual reality. It's something to be said, these other disciples, not because they're men, Peter and John, but they had 20-20 vision, I bet, and yet they didn't see that day. Why? Why is the big question, and this is it, because basic assumptions determine outcomes. Rule of logic. If you go into the world believing that life ends in death, if you see someone that looks and smells a lot like Jesus, you're not going to believe it. Life ends with death. If you assume that miracles don't happen, miracles won't happen. If we assume that the law of physics determine all of life, we'll miss out on metaphysical reality. This happened to me the other day, actually the same day when I was with her, because we've been having some cold gray days. What's up with that? And I was walking and I said, man, Herb, I wish the sun was out today. And in that Herb-like way, he said, it is. (laughs) We just can't see it. (laughs) But this was my assumption. I don't see the sun. Therefore, it is not there. Assumption directs outcome. Boy, does that ring true in our spiritual lives. We don't feel or see the sun, the light, but rather feeling darkness encroaching. We determine life, and light is not there. I like what Raymond Brown says. He's the the late, great scholar of the Gospel of John. He says, in this gospel, where light and darkness play such a role, Darkness lasts until someone believes in the risen Jesus. My friend Garen knows this. Garen and I are friends because we were in the fellows program together. Remember the first three years here at Providence in CBF, North Carolina, had four first-time pastors come together. So here we are, me and three men, We were green, we were fresh, we were darkened. We were very um, bonded by that experience and these three years of gathering and coming and enjoyed a peer group experience. Garen and I are close. He's actually uh, the pastor of Sandy Plains and Shelby an hour from here. Garen and his wife 
We're expecting a baby due today on Easter Sunday of all days. And he wrote this about it. How exciting for a pastor who seemingly always looks, looks, sees symbolism and everything and shrouded holy reminders around every corner. This is gold. The articles, the sermons, whatever else I might want to plan, they practically write themselves. Easter, spring, life on the way. God ever forming something new and beautiful in the world around us. It jumps off the page, doesn't it? Just begging to be voiced in a hundred different ways. But then I found out, 36 weeks into the pregnancy, A month before Rachel was due, she had cramping, went to the hospital, and was told the baby was gone in a moment. Talk about waking up in the dark. And this is what is mind-blowing to me. You know, we talk about, I don't understand the difference between someone's response to tragedy with joy or light and someone who has a different experience. What is the difference? to just read this excerpt of something he wrote at four in the morning that same night in the hospital. He says this, somehow through divine grace, the love of God continues to flood over our family. We are not alone because the spirit of God wraps us up in love and refuses to let us go. And so it seems I still find myself thankful in these moments, though it is certainly not thankful in any way I had planned. I'm thankful for the gift my daughter was to us, if only for a little while, and I look forward one day to telling her that face to face. I'm thankful, too, for the gracious outpouring of those who love us dearly, whom we have the honor and loving in return, and who walk with us when the road is dark. But I'm most thankful, to be sure, that Easter is still coming. Life is still on its way. God continues to create the world and form new and beautiful things around us. And trivial things like death will one day be but a faded memory of what used to be. What used to be before the all-consuming, nothing-can-separate-us, resurrection power of God blew it away like a whisper on the wind. And so it is on this day, especially, we are reminded, built into the very fabric of nature by the maker of heaven and earth, that life is always rising from death. And for that, especially at four in the morning in my hospital, I am truly thankful. Spring is here. Easter is coming. Life is on the way. My friends, that is a testimony of someone who can see. He can see not because there's not darkness in his life. That's the thing about life. We all have a measure of darkness. But like Mary, he sees light refracted through the love of Christ who sees him in his pain 
It says resurrection is possible. I am living proof. This is the good news. And the truth is, is though we are limited by our simple organs of sight, our logic, our lack of imagination, or in Peter and John's most likely case, fear, we are called to see the light that is possible through the resurrecting love of Christ. Most of us in this room, though, probably all of us in this room have cataracts, right? I mean, I'm not exactly talking about the physical ones, though many of you, raise your hand if you've had cataracts since I've been a pastor and had surgery. I'm telling you, I think about 15 of you have had cataract surgery. It's prevalent. It's on the rise. No. But the more and more I thought about it, I thought, you know, we are sufferers of spiritual cataracts. Because the truth is the light is still there. It's the opacity of our own lens that we cannot see. It's not the light. It's not the problem with the light. Something else is obstructing our vision. And just as Mary came in the dark, that weepy mess couldn't see Jesus. But like her, she stuck around long enough to let her eyes adjust to the light. That's what we got to do in the dark. Can't just flip on the switch. Just as the we come into this space and we let God speak and see us. And maybe, maybe that gardener in our life is not just the gardener. And maybe, just maybe, the surprises are waiting around every bend today, refracting light. That's always been there, but maybe you haven't seen. One thing I know for sure, it is in the moment that Jesus sees her that she is known and that she sees. It is in that moment of being beheld, of feeling and he walks with me and he talks with me and we got to know who and whose we are. And in the moment of being beheld, Mary does. And it changes her. Assumptions are shattered. All bets are off. And that's what love does. In that moment of really being known and seen, she believes, she sees, and her testimony, her gospel is loaded when she says, I have seen the Lord. Friends, we come in here today, and though we have been declared legally, spiritually, and overwhelmingly blind, God sees us and changes our vision. May it be that our testimony, 
our witness, like Mary's, is I have seen the Lord. Not just because we've seen with our eyes, but because we've believed in the light. Her testimony was relational, personal, and then it became communal. That's an important piece. The gospel implores us to tell what we have seen. Or as Paul loves to say, tell what you have heard and seen. And so I had a homework assignment for you last week. This is the fun part of being a part of Providence. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> That's okay. Y'all were out of town, remember? I asked you to answer what is the gospel to you? Remember I had said something like, I had felt alone, but God came, dug out the dirt in my life, and planted shade trees. I hoped this week, this day, this moment, you can answer the question, what is the gospel to you? What is good news? Because Lord knows we need it. And maybe communally we'll see the light come in, poured in, and together being seen by the risen Christ. If nothing else, our testimony can be He is risen. Thank you.